This is the bonus show of Generations talking about your or my sports generations. It's Jonathan. Hello, friends. This is the last evening of travel, last night of doing this in the hotel. But uh, today's grid sparked off something that started from yesterday, which was relievers. And I chose someone today that I kind of have the hate for. And I used them today just specifically to do the grid the way we're going to kind of go through the grid today and to talk about relievers and Cy Young winners. So with that, let's just jump into the grid because we're just going to focus on relievers today. But let's just get through the grid and we'll get to where we're going. So today's grid, left or right, the columns, we have the Minnesota Twins, we have Atlanta Braves in the middle, All-Stars on the far right-hand side. The rows are the Philadelphia Phillies at the top, the Seattle Mariners in the middle, and for the bottom row, we have MVP. So let's just kind of go through the grid like we normally do and go for achievements first. So All-Star and Phillies, we went Juan Samuel with 0.3%. Juan Samuel, for those that don't remember, guy could hit second baseman in the like dice game that we created for baseball. He was a good guy to have because, you know, having for second baseman that could hit really well gave you an advantage in our game. Juan Samuel's here, 0.3%. All-star in Seattle. You know, I was just being cheeky. I was going total scarcity score here. Phil Bradley, 0.1%. And the only reason why I was thinking of Phil Bradley, I was looking up something the other day. We mentioned Phil Bradley, how I had forgotten all about Phil Bradley. And then when I was really starting to think about Phil Bradley, I was thinking about, I don't even know how all this stuff goes, but I was thinking, oh, Phil Bradley. Oh, wait a minute. Phil Bradley was in that game where Clemens struck out 20 guys in 1986. Like, that's how my brain works. So Phil Bradley here with 0.1%. Then we've got MVP and All-Star. We're going with my guy. Buster bats for all of us. Buster hugs, 0.9%. We'll, anytime we get a chance to put Buster in there, we're going to put Buster in there. So top left-hand corner, we're going to save this one for last. This is Twins and Phillies. So let's go to the top middle square, and that is Atlanta and Phillies. We talked about Milt Thompson. Milt Thompson's been coming up like the last several days. Milt Thompson, 0.2%. Then when we go to the middle row, we have the Twins and Seattle Mariners. Full disclosure, I looked this one up. I didn't want to go Nelson Cruz. We've used Nelson Cruz way too much, and I'm kind of annoyed at Nelson Cruz because Nelson Cruz is, I don't know how to describe him. Obviously, the guy is a great hitter. He may get to 500 home runs. He's bounced around. It's like he's been on almost every single team in the league. But he's just that, I don't know, hired masher. And there's been different versions of him over the major league years. And is but and is he the best version of them? I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll have to dig into his career a little bit more and kind of compare him to figure out like who he is in the pantheon of major league baseball. 
But there's got to be other versions of this guy, right? You know, I don't, he can't be another Winfield. Winfield was a good fielder. Winfield's a Hall of Famer. Winfield has 3,000 hits. This guy doesn't. Um, so I don't know. And now that I said that Winfield has 3,000 hits, he's definitely close. So now we got something to look up. For some reason, I top of my head, I'm thinking Winfield has 3,000. But then when I really think about it, does he? I have to look it up because that's one of those things. But, you know, I got to think Winfield's better than he is. And Winfield bounce around. Dave Parker's definitely better than Nelson Cruz. Is he a Carlos Santana? But he's better than Carlos Santana, I think. Nelson Cruz is. Is he better than... I always get the Encarnacion's mixed up. Is he better than one of the Encarnacion's? He's better than Ruben Sierra. He's better than Chile. I like Chile Davis a lot, but he's better than Chile. I'm just thinking of guys that are, you know, that could hit, that moved around a lot, that people were always trying to get at the last minute because they thought it would help him get over the hump. He's better than David Justice. So who is Nelson Cruz? I don't know. But I looked this one up. I didn't want to go Nelson Cruz, but then I couldn't come up with a twin or in a, in a Seattle uh, Mariner. And then my friend Tony goes, Dave McCarty. And I'm just like, wow. And Dave McCarty was an outfielder, played a little first base, played on the Giants. But how he pulled that one out, I don't know. But as soon as he said it, I laughed because I'm like, yep. He absolutely was a twin. He was absolutely a Mariner. But I looked up Everyday Eddie. Um, just figured, you know, saying Everyday Eddie, he had one of the best nicknames. And you got to look at his career, you know, like, well, I mean, he was pretty good. But, you know, his ERA was kind of bloated. And was he really Everyday? I don't know. But he's okay. Then for the middle square, I go Atlanta and Seattle. We went with Ken Griffey Sr. at 8%. Then for Twins and MVP, we went 17% with Harmon Killebrew. And for Atlanta and MVP, we went Dale Murphy. We've talked about Dale Murphy a bunch. So let's go to the top left-hand corner because we're going to spend a bunch of time here and talk about this quite a bit. We're going to go in order. Twins and Phillies, I went Steve Bedrosian 1%. Now, Steve Bedrosian was... Mostly a reliever. And he would be brought over to the Giants after he had a 40 save season with the Phillies. And the Giants at that point in time, our closers were not very good. And you also have to remember the mid 80s, in my opinion. And I think data supports this is when the closer that we know today started to become the closer that we know. So prior to 19, you know, 83, 84, 85, you know, having saves in the 30 plus range was rare. But you wouldn't hit the, the 40 save mark until Quisenberry in the American League. And then that would be 
eclipsed by Rigetti, you know, later in the 80s. And then in the NL, the first 40-game, 40 40-save 40 season was Bruce Suter. And so it's – Suter did that in 84. He had 45. And that would be the, the record in the National League for a little while. Reardon did it in 80 – excuse me. Suter had 45 in 1984. Reardon had 41 in 85. Reardon when he was with Montreal. So the, that was the first 40 save threshold being kind of eclipsed. And Bedrosian would have 40 saves in 1987. And then the Giants would bring him over because they would need a, a closer. He would have 19 saves. We've talked about this before. I think he blew like eight saves in 19 chances. Or 19, 19 saves with eight blown saves. And... It was just like, man, that guy was gasoline. He was terrible. And every time he came in, you know, he was supposed to do something. And it just was like, it wasn't that good. He was not good for the Giants. And then his career pretty much would start to fade very quickly after that. But the whole concept of Bedrosian made me start thinking, all right, these relievers that won Cy Young Award, why did they win Cy Young? So let's go in order. In 1974, Mike Marshall is the first predominant reliever to win Cy Young. But in 1974, Mike Marshall pitched 208 innings. So, I mean, he, he, that year, he pitched as many innings as starters do today. If you're hitting 200 innings in a season, like you're getting, many of these pitchers are getting a bonus. He pitched 208 innings in 1974. Now, he had 21 saves, but he had 12 blown saves. But you can imagine having 12 blown saves. It kind of goes, makes sense. If you're pitching that many innings, you know, you're probably going to get a blown save here or there. But in 1974, the Dodgers would win. Man, where did that come from? Apologies. The Dodgers would have... Or lead would lead the the Dodgers would win the NL pennant in 1974, and they would lose to the A's. So the fact that he had 12 blown saves doesn't necessarily mean that the Dodgers lost those games. Quite frankly, probably still won, but you can get a blown save and not lose the game, right? It just means that you've given up the lead. And the fact that he's pitching 208 innings pitched is. You know, seems likely that that's possible. He went 15 and 12. Here's the thing. He pitched in 106 games. 106. That's crazy. Like, nobody pitches that many games, let alone that. You want to talk about Everyday Eddie? Everyday Eddie did not pitch anywhere this number of games, nor anywhere this number of innings. He finished 83 games. Now, here's where you can start to split hairs. Now, Mike Marshall had a war that year of 3.1. And war really does not favor the reliever in any way, shape, or form. Because it's it's very innings-based. But when you're pitching 208 innings, you would think 
hey, you, you should be in there. You should be doing pretty well. And the rest of your advanced metrics would, you would think, put your war up there. But here's the thing. The top two war getters and pitchers that year were John Matlack. He had a war of 9.1. And Phil Necro had a war of 7.9. Now, John Matlack that year with the Mets, he had a losing record. So he had a 9.1 war, but he had a losing record. So, you know, back then and even today, I don't think you're winning. You're winning Cy Young. And the Mets weren't that good. So there's no reason to think that he would get Cy Young. Phil Necro would be second, and he would have a war of 7.9. He would lead the league in wins with 20. He'd go 20 and 13. He would lead the league in complete games with 18 and lead the league in innings pitch with 302.1. We've been talking about Phil Necro for the last couple of weeks. There's just been opportunity after opportunity to talk about him. He finished that year second in ERA with 2.38. So he has a strong case to be Cy Young that year. Problem is, Braves weren't that good. So it's like, where do you go with this? You know, I'm not sure. But Andy Messersmith was Mike Marshall's teammate. Andy Messersmith had a war of 5.1. He would be tied for the league in wins with 20, and he'd go 20 and 6, and he would have a whip of 1.098. Any Messersmith has a claim to this title here. And how Mike Marshall won Cy Young, I'm not 100% sure. And I don't think that necessarily he shouldn't have won. But if you were going to make an argument, his own teammate, you know, if you go how wins, especially in the 70s, were, you know, very valuable to Cy Young voters, you would think Andy Messersmith would have won that award no problem with the Dodgers, you know, winning the National League pennant. But it was actually Mike Marshall that won. But if you want to call it a, a toying, toying cost, sure. Fair enough. But Mike Marshall's the first reliever to win Cy Young, 1974, in the National League, of course. So the second time it happens, it's 1977. And this time, Sparky Lyle with the Yankees. And in 77, of course, the Yankees win the AL pennant. The Yankees would win the first of back-to-back World Series. Sparky Lyle would go 13 and 5. Now, Sparky Lyle would finish ninth in pitcher war of those that received Cy Young voting. He finished with a war of 3.7. He would have 26 saves. He would have eight blown saves. Now, in the 70s, saves, again, was kind of, I don't want, it's not that the stat was new. But saving 26 games was a lot in 1977, or considered quite a a lot. And at that point, high 20s was, you know, pretty impressive. And if you're getting into close to 30 or in that 30 range, you're amazing. 
But we weren't really, in my opinion, looking at blown saves. I don't think that was really, I mean, the stat obviously was being calculated, but it wasn't really being scrutinized, I don't think. Because if you go back and read any of the articles that I found, they don't talk about how many saves were blown or save conversion or save percentage. And Sparky Lyle is still kind of the old school reliever here. He had 72 games and he pitched in 137 innings. So not the 208 and 106 games that Marshall had in 74, but still, you know, higher usage rate. And, and we saw that in that mid to late 70s, even into some of the early 80s with Raleigh Fingers, with Goose Gossage, where those guys are, are pitching a, a lot more innings than today's, you know, single inning pitchers. But 1977, Sparky Lyle, as we said, finished ninth in war, pitcher war for those that received Cy Young voting, 3.7. But you had three 20-game winners that year. These, these three guys all led the league with tied for 20 wins. You had Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer would also lead the league with 22 complete games and 319 innings pitched. You had Dennis Leonard. 120 games, and you have Dave Goltz. Leonard was with Kansas City. Kansas City would have the best record in the league with 102 wins. And Dave Goltz was with Minnesota. Minnesota was, you know, middle of the pack that year. Not very good. But you had two teammates that finished first and second in war. And that was Frank Tanana and Nolan Ryan with the California Anaheim Angels of Anaheim of Los Angeles. So they would finish with 8.3 and 7.8 respectively. So that's Tanana and Ryan. Tanana would finish Cy Young 9. Ryan would finish Cy Young 3. Tanana would lead the league in ERA with 254 and 7 shutouts, but he would finish 15 and 9. Ryan would tie Palmer in complete games with 22, led the league in strikeouts with 341, and he would be second in wins at 19, but he lost 16. And again, California, they were terrible. They were 74 and 88. They were 18 games behind Kansas City. So you go, Sparky Lyle? Eh, maybe. But... Like in 1974, you had Lyle's teammate, Ron Guidry. Ron Guidry would have a war 4.8, but he only had 16 wins. So who do you give it to? Now, Palmer and the Orioles finished second. They were 97 and 64. They were two and a half games back of the Yankees that year. But Dennis Leonard won 20, 20 games. Kansas City had the best record in baseball that year. So Sparky Lyle, uh, I don't know. You know, I think Leonard should get the nod, especially, again, looking at wins, looking at the team, if that's how you're going to vote. And if you're going to go straight war, you know, Tanana and Ryan – but Sparky Lyle, second reliever to win Cy Young in 1977, Cy Young for the AL. So now we're starting to get 
closer to what today's relievers are, but not quite. You'll see the trend. 1979, Bruce Suter wins Cy Young. Now, he has a 4.9 war, and this is the example of where, you know, when you are pitching, you know, 100-plus innings pitched, war can be a little bit higher, and it kind of reflects that across the rest of your advanced metrics. But Bruce Suter would finish 6-6. Six and six. He would have 37 saves, and at this point in time, this is the most in Major League history. But he blows 10. He has 10 blown saves. He pitches a 101.1 innings pitch. This is 1979. Now, at this point in time, Suter is still a Cub. He is not a Cardinal yet. The Cubs that year finished fifth place in the East. They are 80 and 82. They're 18 games back. But here you are again. 1979, we talked about this, and we've talked about this, and we talked about it just the other day. Phil Necro leads the league in pitching war at 7.1, or 7.4, excuse me. He's Cy Young 6. It is the last time a pitcher wins 20 and loses 20. Phil Necro goes 21 and 20. We talked about this the other day. But here's the deal. The Braves go 66 and 94. They're 23 and a half games back in the West. You got to remember, Atlanta's in the West. They're in the NL West in 1979. Bill Negro has a third of their wins. Crazy. Just insane. And of course, Phil Negro being a knuckleballer, you know, throwing a ton of innings, throwing a you know, we've talked about all of all of his stats as far as his number of starts, his number of complete games, number of innings pitched, and his ERA is always really solid. But he finishes size six, even though that he's war one. The other option you could have gone is J.R. Richard. We used J.R. Richard in our in our grid the other day. He finishes size three. He is war two at five point six. He leads the league in ERA at 2.71 and the league in K's with 313. He finishes 19 and 13. Now, Houston has a little bit better deal here because in 1979, Houston goes 89 and 73, one and a half games back. So Houston was in contention. And again, as we've talked about before, for those that don't know or forget, Houston's in the National League, and not only are they in the National League, they are in the NL West. So J.R. Richard was very much an uh, opportunity for Cy Young that year, but it goes to Bruce Suter, and the Cubs are in fifth place, 18 games back. They're 80 and 82 behind the Pirates, 18 games. So Bruce Suter, yeah. So you can see kind of where we're going with this. Like you have three straight examples of relievers winning Cy Young, and maybe there was a better choice. But wait, it gets better. 1981, Raleigh Fingers wins Cy Young. Oh, wait, he also wins MVP. 1981. Raleigh Fingers is the first pitcher 
relief pitcher to win MVP and Cy Young. Now, Raleigh Fingers has a 1.04 ERA. So don't get me wrong, that's, that's top shelf. He has 28 saves. He has six blown saves. Also, we have to remember, before we go much further, 1981 is the strike year. So that is a year that they actually played a first half and a second half, and they kept stats standing separate. So it's kind of funky from that perspective. So before we go a little bit further, let's give you some some numbers here. Milwaukee finishes 31 and 22 in the second half, and they would have the overall best record in the AL East. The A's would finish the first half 37-23, and they would finish first overall in the West. So Raleigh Fingers, at this point in time, he's on Milwaukee. He is not an A. He's with the Brew Crew. This is 1981, the strike year. So this is the year before Milwaukee goes to the World Series. So in that strike-shortened season, Raleigh Fingers pitches 78 innings, has 6-1Ks, and has a .872 whip, which is just crazy. He finishes War 2 with a 4.2 war overall. So not out of this world, not bad. So you have Steve McCaddy was probably the best option for Cy that year. He was an A. He finishes War 1 at 4.3. Now remember, when we're talking war, we're talking B-War, baseball reference war. We're not talking Fangrass War, which is F-War. And this is a baseball reference game, so we are using B-War. It's a lot easier to look this stuff up. But when we're talking a war of 4.5 to 4.3, at that point, splitting hairs. Like you can go one way or the other, depending on how you want to vote. The other, you know, metrics or things in your mind that you think are important on why one person should win over the other. But Steve McCaddy would lead the league, would be tied with the league lead and wins with 14. He'd go 14 and seven, and he would lead the league in ERA with 2.33. And again, the A's win the West. Now the A's would go on, and they to the ALCS. The Brewers would lose in the division round, and the A's would lose to the Yankees in the NL in the ALCS. So Raleigh Fingers winning Cy Young in 1981 is not you know, a stretch of the imagination in any way, shape, or form. But then he wins MVP. And this one might be a stretch. So you have Ricky and Dewey Evans, Dwight Evans. They both finished with a war of 6.7. This is a strike-shortened season. They're only playing like 100. This is the other weird thing about that season. Not everybody played the same amount of games. So you would have people playing, you know, like 103 and others playing like 108 games. But you're effectively playing, give or take, two-thirds of a season. 
a little bit less, of course. But Ricky leads the league in runs with 89, leads the league in hits with 135, and leads the league in stolen bases with 56. He would have a slash of 319, 408, and 437. And again, the A's had the best record in the American League. Dewey Evans, Dwight Evans, would lead the league in home runs with 22. He'd be tied. He'd have 85 base and balls lead the league, and he would lead the league in OPS with 937. Now, Boston, you could say, okay, meh. So Boston finished fifth in the East that year. They were two and a half, but they were only two and a half games back. How or why did Raleigh Fingers win MVP that year? I mean, it kind of seems like it should have been Ricky. And is this, again, we talked about this just the other day. Is this one of those things where Ricky's got too much drip for the league? I mean, Ricky's swag was not liked. If you were in Oakland, we said this before. If you're in Oakland, if you're in Northern California, I was not an A's fan. I was a Giants fan. But everybody loved Ricky. Everybody loved his swag. Everybody loved the juice that he brought to the game. And, you know, people are talking about Ellie Dela Cruz this year. Ricky was Ellie Dela Cruz first and a much better version, at least at this point, than Dela Cruz. Now, Dela Cruz may prove to be much better moving forward, but at this point in time, Ricky was the guy. Also, by the way, Ellie Dela Cruz, homie, not, 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 saying that you're not good and not that you're not exciting but homie ricky leads all of major league baseball in runs ricky's fourth in being on base all time ricky leads in stolen bases so you got a long way to go kid and i'm not calling you out in any way shape or form but you talk about the excitement that dela De cruz has Ricky was bringing that with swagger, just flat out swag. How does Ricky not win this MVP? Is it because of the baggage that you know he brings? Is it because it's called what it is? You know, Raleigh fingers. Hey, you know, polished white guy. Ricky's kind of the thug life black guy. You know, Major League Baseball at this point in time is not feeling that kind of stuff. The establishment is not down. You know, the other thing, too, is Ricky had stooped over, crowded that, you know, made the strike zone small. And then we stooped over, you know, he was kind of his head was almost right over the plate. People didn't like that. For those that never saw Ricky really play, people did not like that. They didn't like how he shrank the strike zone, and they didn't like how the way he just kind of hinged at his hips and his head was like right over the plate, it seemed like. That was not, that was frowned upon. So watching Ricky play, you know, the, that was the way you could see these things and, and experience it. And the fact he doesn't win an MVP in 81, 81's a weird year. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, Raleigh Fingers doesn't win Psy that year, but MVP, that one's a little sketch. So you thought that one was bad. You know where this is going. 
very next one, 1984, Willie Hernandez, Detroit Rock City. Now, Willie goes nine and three. He has a 192 ERA. He has 32 saves, but boom, efficiency, only one blown save. And we're still in this 100-plus innings, so he pitches 140.1 innings. He strikes out 112, and he has a scant whip, 0.941. He has a war of four. But you got three guys that might have had a claim that year to Cy Young. You got Dave Steeb, and Dave Steeb, you know, everyone talks about Jack Morris wins the most, you know, has the most wins in the 80s. Dave Steeb was number two. Most people will tell you Dave Steeb was a better pitcher than Morris. Morris had much better team behind him, but Morris's ERAs were a little bit higher. You know, all of his advanced metrics were not as good as Steeb's. And, you know, let's call it what it is. Morris was playing with a whole bunch of Hall of Famers. And Steve, you know, you know, he had some decent, you know, decent teammates, but not to the same effect that, that Morris may have had. But Steve leads the league in war with 7.9. And he's playing in Toronto, of course. Now, Burt by 11. At this point in time, he's in the Clevelands. He finishes second in war with 7.2. And then in a distant third, but still a possible claim, was Mike Boddicker. He was, of course, Baltimore. He had a 5.2 ERA. Now, Steve that year, he goes 16 and 8. He's second in ERA at 2.83. He's first in ERA plus. And if you need a tutorial on ERA plus, you're going to have to listen to one of the other shows. We're not going to go into that right this second, but that's basically taking his total against his ERA as, you know, basically taking his stadium into account and then comparing it to the rest of the league. And he would lead the league in innings pitch with 267. Y 11 would go 19 and 7, and he would be second in ERA plus. And Boddicker has a stake because he won 20 games. He went 20 and 11, and he had a 279 ERA. So he's right up there. Uh, he leads the league in ERA. So he's he's right up there with the other two, but his war isn't as, as good. Detroit has the best record in baseball at 104 and 58. Toronto finishes second in the East, but they're 15 games behind. Baltimore finishes fifth, 19 games behind, and Cleveland finishes sixth, 29 games behind. So these guys are way, way, way out there. Way, way, way out there. So you can say, all right, Willie Hernandez, really, really valuable to his team as a pitcher. Definitely, you know, you could say, make the argument, Cy Young. But he wins MVP too. So this is the second time, and the second time in three years, where we have a reliever win Cy Young and MVP. Just crazy. And 
1984, there was a gentleman who had just come off an MVP season who would lead the league in war at 10, and no one else is even close. No one. They're not even close. His war is 30-plus percent higher than the next highest person. And that gentleman's name is Cal Ripken Jr. He would have 103 runs, 27 home runs, 86 RBI. Of course, he plays 162 games, leads the league. Bats 304, 374 on base, and 510 slugging. But he won the MVP the year before. Baltimore finishes fifth. And not only does Cal Ripken finish war one, he is like way down there on MVP voting. Is this this because Baltimore finishes fifth? That they felt like they needed to give it to somebody else. That hey, you won last year, kid. You're barely, you know, this is only like your third year in the league. So let's teach you a lesson. You don't need to win it back to back. And oh, by the t- way, your team didn't finish that well. Is that what that was? Because if that's the answer, why didn't you give the MVP to another Tiger? Trammell and Gibson were the two highest place war. Tigers. Trammell had 6.7 and Gibson had 5.1. I'm not lobbying for either of them. Their, their, their stats were solid. And of course, Trammell being a shortstop like Cal, a lot more valuable to the team. Gibson's outfielder. We talked about Gibson just the other day. We talked about the home runs in 84. But why did Willie Hernandez win MVP? You know, maybe he still is Cy Young, but MVP as well. It's a little, little bunch of a, a stretch. And the old, and I can't find anything that that justified like why what happened and how it happened. But really, that's eighty four. So now let's get to that eighty seven season. Steve Bedrosian. This is what got us here. 1987, Steve Bedrosian goes 5-3. and three. He has a 283 ERA. He has 40 saves. Dude has eight blown saves. Also, as we discussed, at this point, 40 save barriers already been breached. Suter did it in 84 with 45. Reardon did it in 85 the very next year with 41. To give you also a frame of reference, 40 saves now is tied for 155th for single season save numbers. So it's very, very pedestrian now. And granted, the game fundamentally, the rules are still the same. How we play the game is quite a bit different. And this is where we're starting to get into the specialists. 89 innings pitched, 74 Ks, a 1.202 whip. Not that great of a whip for a reliever, especially a reliever that's only having 89 innings bits. So if, if you wanted to start looking at the advanced metrics and saying, oh, well, here's a dude who might be susceptible, who just might be getting a little lucky on the field. But he has 40 saves. He wins Cy Young that year. And this is what gets the Giants lathered up to trade for him later on. But that same year, Yet Bob Welch had a war of 7.1. He'd finish one first place. 
Rick Sutcliffe would lead the league in wins. He'd go 18 and 10. Nolan Ryan leads the league in ERA and strikeouts. He goes 276 ERA and 270K. But Nolan Ryan has a losing record. He goes 8 and 16. The dark horse, you have Oral Hersheiser. He finishes with a 6.4 war, which is second. But he goes 16 and 16, and he leads the league in innings pitch with 262.2. Now that year, though, if you're going to make an argument one way or the other, the Dodgers finished 73 and 89, 17 games out of first. The Giants win the West. But the Phillies, they finished fourth. They were 80 and 82. They weren't that much better than the Dodgers, and they were 15 games out in the East. But yet, Bedrosian wins. And I don't know if it's because, you know, the proliferation of the save was happening, and we didn't know how to really evaluate relievers because relievers weren't being utilized quite like this just prior. And so we got enamored with like these big save numbers, like they meant something. And I'm not suggesting that they don't, but you know, when we start talking about how valuable you know a player is and these awards, okay, I guess, you know, maybe he's still Cy Young. So now we're starting to get, we only have three more. And one we've talked about extensively, so we're not going to really go into it all that much. But the next one is Mark Davis in 1989. Now, think about this. We started in 1974. So Mike Marshall. We have Sparky Lyle in 77. We have Bruce Souter in 79. Raleigh Fingers in 81. Willie Hernandez in 84. Steve Bedrosian in 86, and now Mark Davis in 89. So that's seven relievers in 15 years. So basically like every other year in one of the leagues, we're going to have a reliever that wins Cy Young. Mark Davis would go four and three. He would have a 185 ERA, but he's very efficient. He gets 44 saves and he only has four blown saves. He'd pitch 92.2 innings, he would have 92K, and he would have a pretty good whip at 1.047. Mark Davis was a giant. He was a starter mostly for the Giants. Not very good. Not very successful with the Giants. And he goes over to San Diego, and he goes becomes a closer. And he becomes a pretty good, you know, pretty good closer. That year, we mentioned Oral Hersheiser before. Oral Hersheiser finishes first in war. But he leads the league in losses with 15. He goes 15 and 15. He leads the league in innings pitch with 256.2, and he's second in ERA at 231. The Dodgers would, would finish 14 games back of the Giants. They'd go 77 and 83. Now, San Diego would go 89 and 73, and they'd be three games back of the Giants. So Giants won 92 games that year. So Mark Davis wins Cy Young. Also, you have Mike Scott. He'd lead the league in wins with 20, but the Houston finishes in fourth. And then the dark horse is you got Scott Gereltz for the Giants. Scott Gereltz finished 14 and 5. He'd lead the league in ERA with 228. 
and he would lead the league in whip with 1.009 as a starter, which is phenomenal. But Davis wins the 89 Cy Young. Yeah, okay, maybe. Seems reasonable. The next one, no debate. Go back and listen to the show. So when you look at the show descriptions, we have the names of the players. You can see the grid for that particular day. So you know who we're going to talk about. And we've talked extensively about this. And we've talked about how I hate the A's. But Dennis Eckersley in 1992, he wins Cy Young and MVP. Listen to that show. That one, yeah, I think he deserves that one. And that wasn't even his best season. The season before, we talk about that, where he has a point, point six one ERA. He has an 18-to-1 strikeout rate. That season is amazing. And he didn't win Cy Young that year, let alone MVP. But Eckersley does it in 92. We don't have another reliever that wins Cy Young until Greg Gagne in 2003 for the Doyer. And he finishes two and three. He has a 1.20 ERA, but this is the stat. And this is where modern relievers are today. And this, I think, is the litmus test that was utilized with Hoffman and Rivera and all the top closers today. Gagne, 55 saves, zero blown saves. And you look at that and you go, "Ah, yeah, no, that was all first. And, you know, I believe Gagne saved 83, 88 saves in a row. Granted, you know, those are across two different seasons, but 55 saves, no blown saves in 2003. That's pretty amazing. Those are your relievers that have won Cy Young. You haven't had a reliever win since. And I don't know if you will again. They're going to have to do something pretty special. And and actually, I don't. I, I say that probably with a grain of salt that they won't win again because how games are being played are weird. You have all these games now where you've got a reliever starting games. So how are we going to start accounting for that, right? To be qualified for a win... You know, for a starter, you have to go, you know, minimum of five innings to be able to get qualified. But then if I have a reliever start and then I have somebody else coming in after that person who only pitches an inning or two, well, that next person actually can be qualified for the win. So maybe we're going to come up with a new stat that somehow quantifies the value of these games that get start effectively started by relievers. I'm not even sure. I don't know. But the traditional reliever that we've seen where they just come in in the ninth and get three outs, I don't know if that guy wins Cy Young, you know, very often, unless they do something just crazy amazing. And if you look at each of these seasons where these guys did win, Gagne, no question. Eckersley, no question. Mark Davis, eh, okay, you can see it. Bedrosian, I mean, 
if we were using advanced metrics and if we were smarter than we were then, I mean, we were dumb as rocks in 1987. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, I was 15 years old in 1987 and I was screaming at the television, screaming at the box scores. Like, why are you guys so dumb? Like, there are better ways to look at this kind of stuff and evaluate it. And you're just doing it poorly. And just because a guy has 40 saves, so what? It's not that great. Also, I had the hate for betterism, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. There's no bias here. But I hated the Dodgers, too. So, I mean, Bob Welch and Oral Hersizer, no way. Now, if Sutcliffe would have got the Cy Young, I would have been like, ah, okay, whatever. Cubs aren't very good. But, you know, so Bedrosian wins. You could have flipped a corn and realistically unbiased. You could have said, all right, the field is kind of meh, so let's give it to the guy that at least stands out. And none of these guys are really – leading the league in anything and none of these guys are on winning the winningest teams so okay we'll use you know it's, it's the ross perot selection is bed erosion in 87 you could say all right fair enough but you had to have these weird circumstances that that brought it about because you don't really have it very often where you have the top pitcher or somebody on the one of the first place teams is doing well enough to be considered you know, a real candidate for Cy Young. And in this instance, you didn't. You know, the Giants in 87, it's like, man, they had a bunch of ragtag guys. And the best pitcher out of all, all of them was actually Rick Russell. And Rick Russell came over midseason in a trade. So he didn't even play full season with the Giants. And the Cardinals in 87, I don't know, John Tudor. But, I mean, Tudor was hurt a little bit, so he didn't play the whole season. You know, so you didn't really have the top guys on each of the league, you know, division leaders. So you had the weird circumstance. And that doesn't happen often. So, okay, let's go Ross Perot, Steve Bedrosian, 87. Willie Hernandez? Ah, yeah, okay, he's on the best team. He wins Cy Young. That seems reasonable. Man, they missed the boat on this MVP vote. I don't, you know. Again, if you're going to say the most valuable player has to have things more than just stats, then why is Willie Hernandez winning? Why isn't it Trammell or Gibson? I, I don't see this one. I'm not arguing on the Cy Young, but the circumstances for MVP uh, I mean, the say mind-boggling. That's probably the best way of doing it. And I can't find anything that says why they voted the way they voted. Now, granted, you know, Detroit won 104 games and, you know, wasn't even close. They were the best in the in the business. But why not go Trammell that year? He was the best Tiger. But was it because, you know, we were counting traditional stats for the position players? And so since we were counting you know, traditional stats for the position players. We had to, you know, come up with a different narrative. And the only way to do that is like, well, well, let's give it to the reliever because we have never really seen a season like that before. 32 saves, one blown save, 192 ERA. So again, another one of these confluence of these weird, you know, opportunities where things happen. So you didn't really have maybe the most standout, but I think Cal Ripken stands out pretty good. And is it just a matter of, hey, this guy's too young. He's already won a World Series. He's already won an MVP. Let's uh, let's let the kid wait. 
let's uh he'll get another one somewhere down the road so let's not give it to him you know i'm not suggesting there's a conspiracy but you know that's how these guys think right these guys are the baseball writers of america do not have a very good reputation and it's because they don't they're not very good they suck and some of the old guys that are still around are kind of hilarious to listen to and and read their stuff today because it's so antiquated and it's so yesteryear and i hate their stuff as much as i did when i was a kid in 1987 like their opinions are awful they're not that well educated in in the sport that you think that they would be or should be and just the way that they view the game is just so strange and it's not in a way that i think that's conducive to winning and then the power that, you know, it's like, well, we weren't getting paid that much. So we can be kind of uh, abrasive and we can be just as much vindictive as the players. And you wonder why some of these players are like, man, F that guy. I don't. And, and, and then if they did that, right, they got aced off. They just got written off of any of the ballots. And you say, OK, so who cares? It's just a award. It's just some stuff. Well, when your salary is based on these things sometimes or many times. You know, and these guys have power to, you know, determine if you're going to get paid or not. And then to use the argument, well, these guys are getting paid millions anyway. It's like, that's stupid. How about we come to your job and say, well, you know, you're getting paid too much, so you shouldn't get your bonus. Like, that's stupid. You know, trying to determine what other people get paid, like, that's none of my business. Like, take care of yourself. I don't know. That, that, that one is pretty bad, 1984. And then 81... Again, Raleigh figures winning Cy Young. That one's not bad. It could have gone either way. You know, I think nobody would have nobody would have cared, you know, if it was Steve McCaddy or not. But Ricky not winning MVP that year, you know, first place team, best player on the first place team. And you're gonna give it to a reliever? Really? Really? Let's get out of here. 79 Bruce Suter again it's just a weird confluence you didn't have this big standout guy for any of the first place teams the possibly the best guy loses 20 games which looks really really bad but I mean dude won a third of his whole team's games how if you want to talk about opportunity for MVP isn't he not the MVP he directly was responsible for keeping his team around. Like, that is crazy. 66 wins and he still wins 21? Even if he loses 20. Like, those guys didn't have a chance if he didn't go on the mound. And if you didn't want to go with Necro, you know, you had J.R. Richard. But, again, 79, chalking it up, giving it to Suter. I guess you can't be that upset. It's just one of those weird, weird seasons, I suppose. 77, you know, this one's a tough one. I, I don't think Lyle, you know, if you're going to go pick and if you're going to pick the traditional way or if you're going to pick in a more advanced way, it's not Lyle. And. If it was Palmer, I don't think anybody, you know, complains. If it's Leonard, I don't think anybody complains. And the argument for Tanana or Ryan is 
just as good. So in this one, the argument is not that should Sparky Lyle have won. I think for 77, the argument is which of Palmer, Leonard, Goltz, Tanana, and Ryan should have won? Because I don't think it was Lyle. And there's a lot of arguments that you can make for any one of those guys and not for Lyle. So I don't know. I don't know. 137 innings pitched, eight blown saves, only 26 saves, 13 and five. I mean, I'm not saying the guy was schlub, but Cy Young? Eh. 74, I'm not arguing. Like, if, if you want to have a discussion, is it Andy Messersmith? Because he was the best pitcher, you know, best starting pitcher on the best team in the National League. 208 innings pitched, 103 game, 106 games. I mean, that the fact that he has 21 saves and 12 blown saves, that doesn't really turn me off. The fact that this guy basically pitched two out of every three days. And this is after the mound's been lowered. So the mound has already been lowered in 1974. Mound was, was lowered in 1969. So this is five years later. So I don't have any hate on Marshall winning this particular year. Um, you can argue that Messersmith is, again, his, his teammate was better. Phil Necro. Um, Phil Necro, that guy was just amazing. He just Maybe it's just because his style. Knuckleballer. People didn't care. Too much for that style. I don't know. But I had to get this one out. I had to talk about the relievers. Bed Rosen just took me over the limit. And because he was terrible for the Giants. So I have to go on my rant. But those are those are your relievers. Those are your relievers who are Cy Youngs. And of course, we got a few that also won the MVP. One, I think very much, you know, his season was crazy. Go find that episode. And the others, ah. Not so sure. This is the extra time Immaculate Grid Show, Grid 136, the 16th of August. It is Thursday. I'm Jonathan. Big show Saturday drops at noon. It's going to be more analytics. Watch that trailer of me trying to explain wins above replacement to Steve. It's great. There's more of that this coming Saturday. This show drops every night at 9 p.m. You guys have a great one. We'll see you.